at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back. Welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our th- Friday. Friday. Happy weekend to everybody. And it is January 5th, 2024, the first full week or holiday shortened week. First week of the year is in the books. And it was uh, an interesting week. Started off in negative territory. And we ended the week on a bit of a positive note today, which we will get into. We'll get into the details and, most importantly, your questions and answering them with unbiased an unbiased perspective developed with over 20-plus years of investment experience. I'm host Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you. We're going to run down the market performance today, as well as the many show topics we plan to hit on, but right after we answer this first caller question. Hey guys, love to get your thoughts on NVIDIA, ticker symbol NVDA. I know it's at its all-time high right now pretty much, um, but looking to buy it and hold it for about 10 to 20 years. Thanks. It's always difficult to say I'm going to hold a tech stock for 10 to 20 years because very few of them are ever great holds uh, over that time period. Now, the ones that are, are are amazing holds, right? Think of the, the, the Apples and the Amazons and the Microsofts of the world. But those are very few and far between. And NVIDIA has had quite the run as of late, and in some ways for good reason. Because of the AI craze, because of the rise in Bitcoin prices, making Bitcoin mining more attractive, and the demand for the chips has been pretty high. And earnings are expected to rise to nearly $20 per share next year. However, that's next year. And usually these prognostications of massive profit growth going from $3.34 last year to nearly $20 in two years, those moves tend to be fairly rare. And on top of that, you have some risks to this space, major risks. Google came out with their AI system that allows it to run on mobile phones without the need for chips like NVIDIA's. So as AI evolves, there are going to be other cheaper alternatives. And it's a space that people are putting money into. And right now, a lot of that money is going to NVIDIA, but over time, 
it's more likely to be spread out. It's very rare for a company to dominate this type of uh, niche market for an extended period of time, especially when everyone's kind of putting money into developing that space. And then crypto, Bitcoin, that ebbs and flows. We've seen that goes through its bull phases and bear phases, and that will drastically move their profitability. You've seen that. 2022, they made $4.44 on the back of high crypto prices. And then that ebbed in 20, late 2022 into 2023. And that was the reason for the drop in earnings there. So historically, this is a very volatile space. The chip market tends to go through boom and bust cycles. Uh, and you would have to be very, very confident that NVIDIA has a complete lock on the AI space for the long term. And frankly, the lessons that can be learned throughout history is that that's probably not the case. Just look at Intel right now, fighting back from AMD taking a lot of their, their shine. It's technology, especially hardware, it's a space that's constantly evolving, innovating, because they have to come out with that next product, and they're trying to gain market share from the others. And that's why a 10 to 20 year time horizon, this company could be bankrupt within 10 to 20 years. That's very possible, right? Someone else kind of outdoes them in innovation and suddenly their chips are behind. Maybe they overlever themselves. That can happen very easily in the chip market. So to say that I'm just going to buy it for 10, 20 years, I can't, I can't say that. Right now it's very overvalued. The technicals are waning. The momentum is waning. And based on the current valuation, I just can't buy it here. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover in the next 40 minutes. And time permitting, I'm going to focus on a few main points. One is, how does retirement spending work in the real world? We know that there's the basic 4% withdrawal rule. Some people tout as high as 8 or 12% as potential withdrawal rate. But the reality is everyone's different. And then there's the inflation aspect, which is becoming more and more of an issue. And so we're going to dig into the details of inflation and retirement spending what your investment withdrawal should look like depending on your plans for retirement. And it's not just about looking at retirement as a whole in one lens, through one lens. Retirement, just like life in general, goes through phases. Some you spend more, some you spend less. And so that re those retirement spending patterns are going to vary by individual as well as whether you're still in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Okay, So that's our main focus point for today. We're also going to touch on the jobs number, jobs announcement that came out today. There was a headline number, and then there's the details. And we are going to run down the details, give you an understanding of, in combination, what does it tell us about the current state of the economy and, more importantly, the jobs market.
Also, Americans are requiring a lot more income. Fidelity sees IRA distributions for clients reaching $25 billion this year, which would be an all-time record. So what impact will that have on markets? And then lastly, warehouse space availability, the highest level since the pandemic. Remember when everyone was buying those warehouse REITs? Well, there's this reversion to the mean happening. And this is something that you always have to account for. The vast majority of headlines that you see, companies that may be doing well today, Very often, 90 plus percent of the time, that is a a short period. And there is a correction. And there are shorter term cycles, there are longer term cycles. So we're going to dig into that within the warehouse space. Now we're heading into a short break. On the other side, I'll talk about market performance as well as as, as well as uh, the rest of uh, our, our topics, take some calls for, for you. And a reminder to check out our new Invest Talk Classroom series. Episode 14 is up over on our YouTube channel. And Luke and I break down some personal finance topics that I think everybody should understand, conceptualize, and maybe implement into their plan. Now, the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 chart Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay with paying fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's take a look at the market performance for today. It was a mixed bag, but mainly positive overall. Certainly the value side of the market outperformed mid-cap. Value was up 65 basis points. Small cap value up 72 basis points. Mid-cap growth down 12 basis points. Small cap growth down 19 basis points. Those were the weakest parts of the market on the small and mid-cap growth side. Overall, the broad U.S. market was... 
up 19 basis points, 0.19%. And you had small caps up 0.25%, a quarter of a percent there. The broader Russell 3000 overall, that's the top 300 largest companies in the marketplace. That was, let me just load this data here. My browser wants to be slow today. Interesting. Come on, give me the number. It's being too slow for me. But it was a modest update, let's just say that, uh, on the back of the jobs number, which had good headline, but was certainly mixed. And the market expectations for Fed tightening or loosening next year uh, certainly waxed and waned. Um, there we go. There it is. Overall, the broad market up 0.21%. So modest update to close the week. Obviously, we had two fairly negative days on Tuesday and Wednesday, kind of a flattish day yesterday and a slightly positive day today. Overall, a negative week to start the year. Will that be a hard harbinger for things to come for the rest of the month? And thus, as we know, how January goes tends to go the rest of the year, but we're only one week in. So a lot to happen over the next few weeks and months. Now let's squeeze in a caller question now from 888-99-CHART. I just had a question about what to uh, to purchase at the moment and not wanting to invest in technology or any of those things. Is now a good time to buy commodities or should a person wait for a while, give a little breathing room and see if commodity prices come down and then purchase at that point? Thanks, Biden. Well, commodity prices have come down. If you look at the Bloomberg Commodity Index, that has been going down really since September. On the mainly on the back of lower oil prices, uh, and when you say commodities, that's a very broad. I know it sounds not very broad. It's commodities. There are a lot of different types of commodities. There's the energy commodities. There are your soft commodities, your your, your grains, for example, cocoa, etc. And then there are your harder commodities, your your metals, your base metals. So there are there's a mixed bag there. Energy tends to be weak. Uh, outside of uranium, that's fairly strong, actually very strong. There's the ag commodities, the soft commodities, those tend to be weaker outside of cocoa. And then your your metals, it's a mixed bag. You have copper stronger than others. In general, I like commodities. I think this pullback gives you a good buying opportunity, but I wouldn't say broadly. I don't still don't love the ag space. And I would like energy a bit more than uh, the metals, um, even though the metals have been strong lately, but I like uranium more than oil and gas. So it's certainly a mixed bag. You know, I, I focus more on what businesses, uh, on the businesses, the underlying businesses that are producing these products and finding the best within each industry are going, are, is gonna help you stay ahead of the game, better than owning the actual underlying commodity. Uh, and that's where you should start. And if they're trending positively, then you get it. All right, we're going to a quick break. Please give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, 
InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, our focus point set up by this story, how does retirement spending work in the real world? And this is what most people are working towards. This is what financial freedom is. It's retirement. And, and that means different things for different people. It means more doing what you want to do as opposed to what you have to do. So there are some basics of retirement planning that most people follow, some rules of thumbs. The problem is, is that everyone's different. Now, the first thing when you sit down and create a retirement plan, it's helping understand your spending habits, a spending plan. And you could sit here and create a spending plan for the next 30 plus years, but the reality is you don't know. So it's important to focus really on the first 12 months, you call it one to three years. Are there any big ticket items that you want to spend on? Maybe it's a big trip. Maybe that is a new car. Maybe it's throwing a wedding for your child, whatever that is. And then think of that first phase generally of retirement. Say the first five to 10 years. What are your habits, daily habits going to look like? Monthly habits, weekly habits. Are you going to travel two, three, four, five times a year? Or are you going to stay home? Because whatever you do over those first five to 10 years, the next five to 10 years are probably going to be, you're going to do less. Just a natural part of, of aging. You're going to spend less on leisure activities in your 70s than you did in your 60s. And less in your 80s than you did in your 70s. So being realistic about that is important because those cash flows that you're going to need in each phase of the retirement will vary. And they'll correlate with your lifestyle and how that evolves over retirement. And then how do you calculate cash flow? A lot will depend on how markets perform. And that's out of your hands. But being able to look at the past based on current valuations and you know what the mark what market expectations you should have. Is the market cheap or expensive? Right now the market's about fairly valued. So nominal returns should be over the next 10 years, somewhere in the 9%, 10% range. 
So are you, how much are you invested in equities? And that's the slice that you should expect, or that's the amount you should expect that slice to perform. On the bond side, the yields that you get when you invest, yield to maturity, yield to worst, that's typically the yields you should expect. So having a clear picture of return expectations will be important. Now, going back to spending, you could index spending to inflation, but the reality is, over time, most retirees actually spend about 1% less each year. So in real time, retirement spending falls in retirement on a real basis. That can obviously inflation will ebb and flow, but it does tend to fall. And then understanding your lifespan versus your health span. There's a period where, yes, you're living, but how healthy are you to go and do things and spend? And so early on, you might spend well above that standard 4% withdrawal rate. And that can be fine. Because maybe you start off in your first phase pulling out 6%. And then you dial that back after 5, 10 years to 5%. And then 4%. And then 30% once you get into your you know, late 80s and 90s. So just using that hard and fast rule kind of ignores the realities of retirement. Now, the biggest misconception most people have with retirement is that they have enough time to do the things they want to do, to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Now, yes, longevity is a thing. If you get to 65, you know, it's a good chance you're living into your 90s. But will you be healthy enough to do that? So the biggest takeaway is actually front load the fun. Don't be afraid to spend a little more to enjoy your life early on. Because once you get into your 80s, late 70s, 80s, your spending habits are going to naturally fall. All right, we're heading to a break. Ready to take your calls at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is uh, Dave from Ohio. I've been listening for almost two years, learned a lot, so thank you. Uh, I have a question about a stock, Apartment Income REIT Corp, A-I-R-C. It's a small cap company. Just uh, your thoughts. I own a, a small position and I'm thinking about adding to it. I'll be listening. Thank you very much. Looking at AIRC Apartment Income Recorp, they own 73 apartment communities with over 25,000 units, mainly in Boston, Denver, Los Angeles, Miami, Philadelphia, San Diego, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. So mainly in urban markets, and that is the issue here. People are moving out, and rents in those areas are declining. So I don't love this. You have earnings going from, sorry, this is a REIT, so it's funds from operation, going from $5.81 in 2022 when rates, rates, rental rates were sky high. And now, full year 2023, funds from operations are expected to be $2.41 and $2.53 this year. I don't like that trend. This is less than it was earning pre-pandemic when its FFO was $3.32. So while it's rallied as of late, mainly that's just because it's a read. It's a bond proxy. And rates have come down. Bonds have rallied. This has a lot of debt. It's cash flow has declined from operating cash flow from 451 million in September of 2022 to now 370 million today, trailing 12 months. So I wouldn't be buying more of this. If I'm buying an apartment REIT, I want this in the Sun Belt, in smaller cities as opposed to larger cities. These are the migration trends that are happening. And you want to be benefiting from those migration trends. Companies that own apartments in big cities, they're not the ones that are benefiting. So I'm passing on Apartment Income REIT Corp, A-I-R-C. Now the KAPP Premium Newsletter was finished today. And it will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. And in the market conditions section, we explain that stocks experienced a modest recovery on Friday as the S&P, NASDAQ, and Dow grapple with mixed economic indicators. This period of uncertainty marked by a potential end to a nine-week winning streak and is likely driven by traders' speculation on the Federal Reserve's coming interest rate decision. 
December saw additional 260,000 jobs exceeding expectations, but underneath the surface, it was a more mixed bag. There are further signs of developing situation in international shipping. This is caused by security concerns over attacks by Houthi militants, as it has major implications for global trade. The result is longer journey times and higher shipping costs, and that exacerbates the challenges facing global supply chains. We remind you that in these times, the heightened risk levels, uh, with heightened levels of risk, is important. To, is more important than ever to focus on stable companies with strong balance sheets. Now, a lot more commentary, details in the newsletter. We also have some stock ideas. One is an independent oil and gas. EMP company focusing on the Permian Basin with 2.4 billion barrels of proven reserves and as a rock solid balance sheet and is able to generate free cash flow even during periods of weak commodity prices. We also highlighted independent oil and gas company here in the US operating also in the Permian Basin and it's pledging to return 75% of its profits to shareholders. And it's one of the lowest cost producers in the United States. Now, we name names in the newsletter. You can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Now, let's touch on the jobs market. Jobs numbers that came out today with a little more details. Now, we know the headline was 216,000 jobs in the month of December. Economists had forecast about 170,000 jobs. So, the headline was a beat. But if you look underneath the surface, in total for 2023, added about 2.7 million jobs, down from 4.8 million in 2022. But revisions tell a different story. The economy added 71,000 fewer jobs in October and November than previously reported. The unemployment rate held st steady at about 3.7%. Now remember, about 100,000 jobs are needed per month to keep up with growth in working age population. Now, by sector, there was actually a bit better growth overall in, in more sectors, let's say that. Government payrolls grew 52,000, a little bit less than the 56,000 jobs per month added on average in 2023. And double the average you saw in 2022, which is 23,000. So a lot of the jobs that were created in 2023 had to do with government hiring. The healthcare sector increased 38,000. And then the construction industry added 17,000. That's a positive, right? That is a more cyclical industry that is good. Mainly that's because of milder weather. I don't know about you. I felt the cold weather hit here in, in Southern California just a couple weeks ago. So that could change. But government and healthcare jobs, that's not an area that you want to see strength. Because they're non-cyclical. Now, leisure and hospitality gained 40,000, but total employment within that sector is still 163,000 below pre-pandemic levels. Retailers increased jobs by 17,400. That was good. Professional and business services, 
Rose about 13,000. Solid, but not amazing. The biggest red flag, though, was that temp workers shed 33,300 jobs. And typically, that's where, if you're just going to start layoffs, you get rid of the temp workers first. Manufacturing jobs increased 6,000. But transportation and warehousing, that fell 22,600. So the manufacturing sector, the physical goods market, still remains relatively weak. The average hourly earnings up 0.4% in December, same as November. And overall, the market's really priced in not a whole lot of change. At first, it was lowering the odds of a rate cut by March. And by the end of the day, it was actually a bit higher. Higher odds there would be a rate cut in March. Now, the next thing the markets will pay attention to will be the, the inflation report. That's coming up on Thursday of next week, and that will certainly move markets as well. Now, on Fridays, they generally take time to fit a quick rundown of some key benchmarks. So let's do that now. The, ten, the two-year yield, that was up a bit from four and a quarter last week to 4.387% at the close of this week. The 10-year, that was also up a bit back above the 4% level at 4.03%, up from 3.86% last week. Gold, 2,045 an ounce, down a bit. As you can see, there's that's typically the trend. If you have higher interest rates, that typically means lower gold prices and vice versa, typically, at least on a short-term basis. So you did see gold dip a bit this week. Silver, 23.39 an ounce, down slightly from last week at 2384. Oil, $73.74 a barrel, up this week from $71.47 last week. The national average for gasoline, $3.08, down a, a tad from $3.12 last week. And it's been down actually pretty big. 79 weeks ago, about a, a year and a half ago, it was at $4.25. Think about that. Come from $4.25 all the way to $3.08 in a year and a half. Here in California, $4.70. We actually had an uptick in gas prices from $4.67 last week. Indiana, in Indiana, only $2.77 per gallon, nearly $2 less than we're paying here. Now let's go fit in another color question from 888.99 chart. I'm 25, just opened a Roth IRA, and already have my own portfolio on TD Ameritrade, made up of about 30 different stocks. I wanted to know what you guys would recommend for the Roth IRA, whether I should go the same route and use the same percentages in my current portfolio, or if I should go a different route and invest in ETFs such as mid-cap, small-cap, value, or the S&P 500. I also wanted to know if you guys would recommend contributing the max 6000 each year to the Roth. Looking forward to hearing your answer. Thanks. Well, the new max is 7000 so that's good. So I would I would max out that seven thousand. You sound young, so you're probably in a lower tax bracket. So the Roth IRA makes sense, and the fact that you are are young means that you should lean towards those mid and small caps. Now the question is, do you want to buy an ETF? Do you want to be a hands off kind of indexer owning small mid caps, or do you want something what's more hands on where you're learning a bit more? Don't really learn a whole lot by just owning an ETF or a mutual fund doesn't really help you advance your ability to find good investments. 
good companies. You're young, probably not investing a ton at this time. So you can afford a few mistakes. So I always say, if you want to get better at becoming a good investor and finding good companies, then nothing teaches you more than actually going out there and doing it, buying those individual names. But that's if you have the time and the data and you can go and actually do the work. Some people can't. They're busy. They have demanding jobs. They might have families. And they just don't have that time to slice out and, and really do the work. If you do, that's great. If you don't, broad-based ETFs are fine. And I, I would go with you know something on the mid and small cap value side. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on the warehouse industry. Now what's interesting is that the average vacancy rate in the United States for warehouse for warehouses is 5.2%. That's up from 4.6% in the third quarter and 3.1% a year ago. This is the first time the vacancy rate has surpassed 5% since 2020 when Amazon doubled the size of their fulfillment network in just two years. And that brought nationwide vacancy rates to 3% in late 2022. And developers have been building more than 2 billion square feet of additional storage and distribution space in the last four years. But over the past 18 months, retailers have pulled back. They've delayed leasing decisions because of higher interest rates, slowing consumer spending, as well as uncertainty about the U.S. economy. And we know consumers are shifting from buying physical products to services. Now, companies signed new leases for about 588 million square feet of warehouse space in the full, full, in the full year of 2023. Sounds like a lot, but that's down 27% from 2022. And developers are pulling back their plans for new, new building. But 156 million square feet still hit the market in the fourth quarter, the second highest quarterly construction completion total on record. Now, while the vacancy rate at 5.2 is a lot higher than that three just a couple of years ago, the 15-year average is 6.4%. So it's not like it's a bad market. It's just, once again, the reversion to the mean. These things tend to happen. Right? There's a longer-term trend, and things tend to revert to those longer-term trends. Spite a pandemic. And so everyone got caught up in investing in industrial REITs. And I think longer term, that tends to be fine. They tend to be a good place to invest. But these are lessons that you need to take. Is that once it's the news that there's a shortage in space, for example, it's priced into the stock. And what you can see is while the vacancy rate bottomed in 
late 2022. REITs like Prologis, one of the largest industrial REITs out there, that peaked back in the spring of 2022, led it down. And that peaked around $175 per share. Now it's at 130 even after this recent rally where its low was at 96 So I wanted to highlight that because there are lessons to be taken here. That the reversion to that mean continues, which means the funds for operation from, for companies like Prologis will probably continue to correct. That doesn't mean you write it off completely, but once that correction is complete, that tends to be the good time to invest in those names. Not when those good kinds are priced in. All right, we're heading into our final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Luke. This message is mainly for Steve. Just want to say that we're thinking about him. We're praying for him, looking forward to his return in 2024. Also, thank you, Justin and Luke, for holding it down while he's healing. I know Steve has always says we can always call in as long as it's finance-related, so I will have a finance question for you guys. My question is, do you have any predictions for 2024? I don't know if you normally do this, and if not, what sectors do you see are up for growth this year and maybe what sectors do you see very much lagging? Thank you very much again. I look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. Well, thank you for those kind words and I will certainly pass those on to Steve. And predictions for 2024, you know, predictions are are difficult, uh, especially in times like these going into an election year. Uh, that certainly can throw a wrench into things. Uh, I think it's going to be the most interesting election years in 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 memory. Um, not only because both candidates, major candidates that are that are likely to you know get their party's nomination are have low approval ratings, um, but you have others like RFK that are are getting a lot of attention. And so I certainly think that could uh, create some market moving uh, uh, events and create some uncertainty. And markets don't like uncertainty, uncertainty typically. Now, on the economic front, there's actually a setup here where there's actually a lot of certainty, at least in the near term. And that is the spending that's coming out of government is pretty static. Pretty straightforward, pretty obvious because it's based on retire uh, on entitlements, and our budget deficit remains large, which means that supports GDP growth, supports spending, and supports supports the economy in general. So, I actually think the the dollar will be weaker because of that because of that persistent budget deficit that isn't going anywhere. Uh, and the fact that it's pretty interesting to see the Fed pause and likely cut before the inflation number gets all the way to 2%. 
So it's pretty clear that they're kind of ahead of the game there. So I think the dollar being weak should drive certain sectors forward. Obviously parts of the commodity space, but most underrated is industrial because industrial activity tends to go up when there's economic growth, but also when the dollar is weak and our products become more competitive globally. So I think that's going to help. Also small caps, that trend you saw kind of close the year, I think will likely continue for the rest of the year, especially if the dollar continues to be weak. So a lot of it is those year-end trends kind of continuing. I think this year will be more of a, a choppy yet positive year for asset prices. Choppier than last year. I know we had the banking crisis and the pullback in the spring, or not spring, the, the late summer of 2023. Those were kind of the periods of volatility. I think there'll be a little bit more than that. And, but it'll be you know, still in a generally up trajectory. Because, frankly, without a big deflationary credit event, asset prices tend to go up. And so I think it'll be a big rotation year. There'll be some big winners and some big losers. I think the arcs of the world, the Ponzi stocks, call it, I call them, though that's the area that'll probably do the worst. So go look at the portfolio of those the ARC names, and those are probably the ones that are going to struggle the most, even though uh, they've rallied recently. What other predictions do I have? I think we get a we get close to a resolution in Ukraine. I think you're starting to see a administration cross the West saying, you know, how long do we want to support it? Is there some solution here that can bring an end to the fighting? I think that's a strong possibility this year. I think, unfortunately, the Gaza situation probably not resolved quite yet. Um, but we shall see. It will be a very interesting year. And these are just predictions. And I guarantee some of them will be wrong. But hopefully most of them will be correct. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.